But I've been really encouraged. I've noticed more people here uh, around uh, 10 a.m., right? 9 a.m. When do we start? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Yeah, it's, that's been really cool to see. So I don't know if you're here because you're trying to get the coffee, first dibs on the coffee, or you're trying to, you know, do what we talked about is showing up early and welcoming people. That's been really awesome. So props to all of you who have been showing up early. Uh, we notice. We see you. So um, I'm really excited about today's message. Um, yeah, I just, I just really hope and pray that the Lord would speak to our community as we continue to move forward in the vision that God has called us to. So if you would, let's, let's pray together. Let's really ask the Spirit to speak to us. Lord, thank you so much for this rich time of worship, just from the songs to hearing people's uh, own journeys of how they connect with you and others to uh, just being able to be together. Uh, We count it a privilege uh, in a time when there is so much unrest and turmoil. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit, as we are drawn together today, that you would say something to each of us and then to our community as well as a faith village about who we are, what our identity is as your people and where you are leading us. God, speak through me and speak especially through your word. Um, Thanks, God, for this community. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our annual theme, our annual teaching theme this year is called A New Humanity. Uh, And it's based on a verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, which says that his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And so all this month, we've actually just been camped out on this one chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, listening to the words uh, of Ephesians, letting it kind of soak over us, gleaning from its wisdom, and asking the question, what does it look like for a people to live by the principles and to allow this word to shape and form our life together? And this is all part of a larger vision that we have as a church to become a church that unites diverse people. That's a phrase that we've been saying um, many times, especially since last year as we launched this theme and initiative. Um, And our intention is to continue to build on this theme, this vision, in new and exciting ways in 2020 and the future. And so what I hope to do this morning is share some thoughts from Ephesians 2 again, And then call up some people who will uh, give us a clearer picture of where we believe God is leading us as a church. So I'd like us to read uh, Ephesians 2 together. I know we've been hearing this many times, but let's just as a community uh, read these words to one another and over one another, okay? So let's, let's read these together. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. All right, one more. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right, that was a mouthful, I know. But just bear in mind when Paul would write these letters to the church, they would just read them out loud and people would just hear the words. And so if you miss some stuff, you're like, man, that's a lot to gather. That's okay. Uh, You have it on your phone. (laughs) And we're going to talk about it more today. So to help frame some of the thoughts I'd like to share about this passage, we need to talk about two really important concepts first. And these are the concepts of majority and minority. So let me ask you, when have you been in the majority And when have you been in the minority? As a transplant and an immigrant from Ohio, I am a minority here in Texas. Uh, And ironic, I was thinking about this, a disproportionate number of my Ohio friends have actually married Texas women, which is really ironic. I'm married to a Texas woman. Um, And in my family, so this is my my immediate family, my wife and my four, I have four boys. Uh, As a male in the family, I am part of the overwhelming majority in my family. And my my dear wife, Grace, is part of the minority. She is outnumbered five to one. Uh, Here at Access, if you uh, don't know your Enneagram number, you might be in the minority. Uh, But if you tend to come up late, if you tend to show up late to things like 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, then you are in the majority. Though that is something we are desperately trying to change. Amen, right? So majority-minority dynamics, they can be really innocuous. They could just be descriptive. But sometimes they are not. So growing up in suburban Cleveland in a predominantly white neighborhood, I was definitely a racial minority. Uh, And so going to school, growing up in my neighborhood was always a challenge. It was a constant struggle. I wondered whether I belonged, whether I fit in, and I was just constantly trying to to make my way. Uh, It didn't help that, you know, people would regularly ask me if, like, the one other Asian American girl was my sister or my girlfriend. Um, But more than that, there were times when this struggle to belong became more severe. And when being that minority actually meant that at times it felt like my very dignity as a human was being assailed. Some moments were worse than others, right, when there were racial epithets being thrown at my way when I was walking home and people would shout things from the bus. But I remember the worst of all of these situations, which I have shared before, was a time when my brother and I were in a shower in a community pool and these three boys started spitting on us. Uh, they, they happened to be white. And in that moment, I felt so small. I felt like my dignity was, was being ripped to shreds. And I I share this, you know, I share this not to elicit sympathy. I share this not for the shock value. I share this because it highlights a very important reality. That being a minority in a majority context can take a tremendous emotional, psychological, and physical toll. Right? That's a reality. It's an uncomfortable reality. We must acknowledge it. 
And this is a dynamic that can occur uh, in relation to race and ethnicity, but it also relates to politics, gender and sexuality, economics. I mean, we humans have this great ability to factionalize around all sorts of things. And it is a dynamic that we see being played out in a myriad of ways in our society still today. It plays out in the places that we work, the places that we play, and yes, even in the places that we worship. It plays out here at Access in this faith village. But before we talk about that, we want to look at what the scriptures have to say about this dynamic. And Ephesians 2 addresses the dynamic of majority and minority. And in fact, I would argue that we can't understand what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church apart from understanding the majority and minority context in here. So throughout this passage, throughout Ephesians, if you were just read it from cover to cover, you would notice that Paul uses the pronoun you throughout, throughout the passage. He keeps saying you to this, you, you know, this happened. And that passage that we read, the, the pronoun you shows up all throughout. And the question that I want us to ponder is, who is the you referring to? Because I'm going to argue that it's not just like a general you, as if I would say, hey, y'all look great today, and just, you know, like pleasantries. Paul is actually referring to a very specific you, a very specific group of people. So if you were to look at the latest U.S. census, there are five racial categories. Um, white American, Black or African American, Native American, and Alaskan Alaska Native, that's one, Asian American, and the fifth category is Native Hawaiian and other Pacific Islander. So actually, Hispanic Latino is considered an ethnic uh, category on the census. But in the biblical world, their anthropology was a lot simpler. There were just really two groups that mattered, at least from a Jewish point of view. There were Jews and non-Jews, which they called Gentiles. So this is, just, this is part of the biblical world that we must be aware of when we read these passages. There was Jew and then everyone else called Gentile. So the Jewish people were a small minority within a larger majority, right? They were a small minority living in a world that was made up of Gentiles. And so Christianity, we have to think about this, Christianity was actually a sect at the time of Judaism, right? Jesus was a Jew, and he spread this, good, he said, hey, I'm the Messiah. And so as Jewish people, who were a minority, started to say, well, actually, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus as king, as Lord. They became a minority within a minority, right? So Jewish converts were a minority within a minority. But then as this message of Christ as Lord went further and further out. And last, you know, last year, we were talking about, we read through Acts, parts of Acts, and we're going to continue that later, of how this message started in Jerusalem, the epicenter of Jewish life, but then spread to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. In other words, to non-Jewish or to Gentile places. And so the apostle Paul, he said, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Even though he was a Jew, he considered himself an apostle, he was called to bring this message of Christ as Lord to the Gentiles. And so little by little, as he traveled along the Asia Minor, establishing and planting new churches, Gentiles, who were part of the majority, began to believe in this message. And so Gentile Christians, right, they were few, they were actually a minority within a minority that was already a minority, 
So they were like triple minority. Do you catch that? Which is really ironic because they, Gentiles, were used to being part of the majority. And now all of a sudden they found themselves being in this kind of liminal space, this on the, on the fringe of this new movement that was beginning to happen. And so this is the you that Paul is referring to. And so when you read Ephesians chapter 2, you need to keep this in mind, that Paul's not just talking to the church just in general, right? It's probably mixed, but he's specifically, when he says you, he's referring to you Gentile believers, you who are used to being the majority, who now are the minority among a minority among a minority. This is what he's ta- telling them. And why does this matter for us? Because when you find yourself being in the minority, when, you, when everyone else around you in the majority talks a certain way, dresses a certain way, looks a certain way, comes from a, eats certain foods, comes, lives in a certain neighborhood, a zip code, and you find yourself in this context and you look different and you are different, what happens? You begin to wonder, do I belong here? Do I belong here? Is this for me? Do I have a seat at the table? And Paul's response to them in Ephesians chapter 2 is an unequivocal yes. Yes, you belong. In Christ, you belong because everything has changed. Society has been flipped on its head. And in this new kingdom, this new family, this new humanity that Christ is forging, you belong. So look again at what he says. He says to you Gentiles, right, you Gentile converts, you were once separate. You were excluded. You were foreigners. You were without hope and without God. You were far away. But now, in Christ Jesus, and man, we cannot skip out on that crucial prepositional phrase, right? In Christ Jesus. That is the basis, that is the legitimacy, that is the reason. In Christ Jesus, you were once this, but now you have been brought near. You are part of a new humanity. You have been reconciled. You have access to the Father through the same spirit that unites us all. You are fellow citizens. You are members of God's household. You are family. You are family. Not because you earned it, you know, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And I think this is great news. Because so often, belonging comes at a cost. The effort and the desire to belong often comes at a cost where you sacrifice this or that in order to assimilate. You, you deny this aspect of your humanity in order to fit in, and belonging comes at a cost. You have to figure out what it takes to gain acceptance. You know, maybe it's the right clothes, maybe it's the right slang, maybe it's the right possessions or the right beliefs. Uh, it made me think about when I was in middle school, I was a skater, and uh, even though I was this really skinny dude, and so at the time, the... the the kind of code uh, that skaters, like Sarah's dress code, was you wore really baggy pants. And so even though I was this really skinny dude, uh, like with like a 20-inch size waist, I would buy these 38-inch size pants. 
and I would tie them together with a shoelace to keep them from falling to my knees. And it looked ridiculous. But that was, that was the price I had to pay in order to belong and to fit in. And it's ironic because today, you know, skaters wear like skinny jeans. So I was born in the wrong generation. Right? But what Ephesians is saying to these Gentile converts is this. You don't have to become Jewish to follow Christ. That may sound weird to us, but keep in mind, again, the majority of Christ followers at this time were Jewish people who had said yes to Jesus. And so they didn't all of a sudden just change their clothes and their food and all their habits. Some of those things they did, but largely their lifestyle still reflected very much their culture, their ethnicity, and their religion that they had grown up with. And Paul is saying, you don't have to become like that. The thing that you have to become is in Christ. That's the thing that matters. That's the thing that unites us. Because in Christ, you are now received as you are. You are received as you are. And so if you're a Jew that becomes a follower of Christ, you are received as you are. If you are a Gentile, a non-Jew, who follows Christ, you are received as you are. God is forming something new, a new humanity. And the price of admission to this new humanity has been paid in full by Christ himself. It comes at a cost. Belonging comes at a cost. But that cost has been paid by Christ. And so what we have in Ephesians 2 is nothing short of a radical declaration that those who are on the outside, those who are in the minority, you are now included because of Christ. You belong. Ephesians 2 takes all the traditional and old categories of majority and minority, and it breaks them apart to form something new into this alternative community called the church, called God's people, called the faith village. And no one and nothing can take this away because it was never ours to attain or give in the first place. The basis is what God has done through Christ in history through his life, death, and resurrection. And that is rock solid. At Access... Here at this community, we experience all of these dynamics, don't we? The majority here in this community, at least, at least ethnically and racially, is made up of people who are generally in the minority Monday through Saturday, right? And on the flip side of that, we also have people who are typically in the majority Monday through Saturday, who then find themselves in the minority here on Sundays. And then we also have people in our community who are always the minority, Monday through Sunday, right? Never, never get a break from being a minority. But all this is just on the surface, too, because when we talk about being Asian American, it's not like that's one monolithic identity, right? Asian American encompasses a variety of ethnicities and nationalities, and so here in our community, Chinese-American is probably the dominant or the majority. 
but we also have Koreans, Thai, Singaporean, Vietnamese, uh, I know I'm missing others, what, what, Taiwanese, that's right, what else? What else do we have here? Japanese, Indonesian, right? Filipino, we have, I mean, even within Asian American, there's so many, there's so much diversity there. And there are minority, majority dynamics even within Asian American culture. We also have folks who are overseas born, right, which is a very different experience than growing up here as an ABC, American born Chinese. And so what I wanted to say this morning is if you've ever questioned, if you've ever wondered whether you belong in this community because of the color of your skin or because of the language you speak at home or because of the country your parents or you immigrated from, I want to say yes. On the basis of Ephesians 2, on the basis of what God has done in Christ, you belong. It is not based on our subjective feeling of belonging. It is based on the objective, rock-solid work of Jesus to form a new humanity and a new community. You know, often we tend to think of unity as this thing, uh, this elusive thing that we have to kind of strive to build as if it didn't yet exist. And I think this passage actually challenges us to think differently. Um, It actually challenges us to look past the factionalism that kind of pervades our society and challenges us with this idea that actually God has already united us. It is something that he has done and he has given to us. And so unity is not something we have to like fashion and fabricate. It is actually our God-given identity. It is who we are. Just like sort of how when we believe in Christ, we are beloved. That is who we are. But many of us fail to live into that identity, right? We chase other things as if we are not beloved. And so the challenge becomes, how do I live into my identity as beloved? How do I live up to this identity? And I want to say this is our identity, that we have been united, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. These these things that have divided us in the past, now in Christ Jesus, we are made one. And so the challenge for us is how do we live into and live up to this identity? Because, boy, I fail every day to do that. You look at the church today, and we have fallen flat on our face when it comes to this. But there's grace and there's a calling, and there's hope. So we get back up, we do these things like have a vision statement and plans, and we, we band together and we say, all right, let's go for it. Let's do this. Even though we don't know what it'll look like, let's, let's do this. Several years ago, a group of people um, formed this group called the Wrecking Crew. You might have heard announcements about it. For a while, they had these monthly dialogues that were exploring race, conversations about race and ethnicity and reconciliation in our society today. And I'm thankful for this group of people who have wrestled with these things because they kind of be, became like a, like, a, like a stake in the sand that was saying, hey, this is, this is something we believe in. This is something we hope for access. 
And we always knew from the very get-go when, when Pastor Ted and the group of four of you all planted this church that there was a vision to be multi-ethnic, right? But things didn't quite shake out the way we always expected, and they never do. But in this season of our church life, we believe that God is opening the doors for us to renew our efforts at this. And out of the wrecking crew came a group of people. Uh, you guys know who you are, and thank you. They did some work to kind of begin to imagine what would this vision of a church that unites diverse people at a predominantly Asian-American community look like? What would that look like? And in a moment, we're going to hear a little bit of that vision. And then out of that group, a group of us, we also got together and said, all right, practically speaking, how do we as a church move from A to this beautiful vision? What are the steps that we need to do? And what does it look like for all of us as a community to be a part of it? So I want to invite up uh, Pastor Ted and Denise to come to the stage and they're going to share with us aspects of this vision and aspects of this plan. Um, Phoebe, where are you? You also had a, Phoebe had a huge part of this as well, as well as others. So be sure uh, to talk to these members of our community. Let's continue the dialogue. But for now, um, I want to hand it over. You guys are going to share some, some words with us. All right. So we're going to read together uh, part of this vision statement that was crafted. And... Um, we're going to invite you as a church to read along with us. So this whole thing, um, minus the full version of this vision can be found. You know, just the part that's, you know, slanted, um, we'll read that together, okay? All right. Within and beyond our own faith village, we seek the restoration of God's wholeness in our racial and ethnic identities. Our relationship with people of other races and ethnicities in our structural treatment of different racial and ethnic groups. The way will not be easy, and our best intentions will fall short. But we take heart because we will walk this journey with each other and with God, whose kingdom of peace, justice, and unity will prevail. So we've identified four different parts of this vision. I'm going to read two, and then Denise is going to read two. Uh, listen closely to what they mean and to some of the vision behind it. It's a little bit wordy, uh, so we're not putting it all on here, but I think the phrasing is really important. Okay, first of all, to form peacemakers. To become a church that unites diverse people, we must focus on becoming the kind of people who can embody peace in a world in need of shalom. More than a program or a technique, we will enter a formational process that enables us to live into peace with self, others, to seek peace in larger systems and structures around us. While we each begin the journey along various points, the goal is to form people rooted and united in Christ who can enter into conflict, lessen anxiety, and work toward justice, mercy, and equity that marks true peace. We see this crucial transformation flourishing most naturally in the context of safe relational spaces. So what does it mean to have these um, peacemaking um, activities? Number one, to multiply safe and brave spaces. We're going to offer a variety of entry points for people to safely explore ethnic, spiritual identity and grow in peacemaking. Some of these include formation group focused on racial reconciliation in the fall of 2020. Uh, Number two, a Faith Walking 201 formation groups in the spring of 2020 and fall. 
three, learning groups focused on race and ethnicity, uh, the book White Awake, and three, summer book studies in June and July. Number two, participate in catalytic experiences. So we're gonna engage as a community in the ECC's Invitation to Racial Righteousness. That's March 27th to 29th. You may have heard us promote some of this before. Mark that on your calendars, it's a big date for us. We will be hosting an event with special guest, Dominic Gillard, uh, author of the award-winning book, Rethinking Incarceration. Uh, and then focus our teaching on sermons, our annual theme, and one workshop on intercultural dynamics in the fall. All right, our, our second point is to make room. And listen to these words. Representation matters. We will make room for diverse voices and leadership by actively seeking out and inviting those who are passionate about our vision and embody our values. Our intent is not to tokenize. It is important that we get the right people on the bus and not just the right looking people. We will actively pay attention to power dynamics between majority and minority in our community. We will seek to exercise power and authority in the way of the kingdom of God. So three things under this point. Number one, we're gonna hire intentionally. Hire at least two diverse staff by 2021, placing them in key roles, empowering these diverse voices and encouraging diversity of expression. Number two, invite diverse voices to preach. Strive for approximately 25% of pulpit supply by other than Asian males. Okay, so John and I don't qualify. I just read that. Wow. <laughs> it's weird. So ironic. <laughs> three. Uh, three, pursue diverse lead team members. Continue to seek and nominate diverse members of our lead team. All right. So next, we will amplify stories. And if you came to the fall retreat, um, you got to experience this um, amongst one another. If you didn't come, you missed out. <laughs> and we're going to offer more opportunities, as Ted just shared with us. So we will amplify the stories and histories of those that have gone before even when painful and uncomfortable. Sankofa reminds us that we must look backwards in order to look forwards. We will actively seek out and learn the racial stories of our nation's past and present, and from a place of empathic and compassionate humanity, we will let these stories transform us and shape our future trajectories, which is what some of us experienced when we did the fall retreat, because some of us, for the first time, were exploring our own stories. And it's important to start here before we go external. So, um, but we will do this through a few ways. And so there's always an invitation amongst us, but we will learn through films, which we just did with Selma. So host one to two compelling film watching events with dialogue conversation. Um, today, actually, we're going to be going to see um, Just Mercy. Uh, it's the story with Brian Stevenson. He wrote the book, Just Mercy. He's an American attorney, public defendant, and social justice activist. So if you'd like to join us, Michael and I, Phoebe and Linton, we're gonna meet at the front door and leave at noon. So that's another opportunity today. Um, participate in the Sankofa experience. So Access is sending three to five Access members who will be able to advocate and lead towards greater racial, sorry, this is hard, wholeness. Um, Three, we will embark on field trips. So we will encourage life groups, friends to attend one place in 2020. Um, and some examples are, 
we forget, you know, you, you don't become a tourist of your own city, but we have such diversity here in Houston. Mm. So we have all these local museums, such as, or, or um, communities together. We have the Chinese Community Center, who's very active. If you've never connected there, I have a little bit, and it's super great resource. Asia Society Texas Center, Buffalo Soldiers National Museum, um, events that get hosted through them. Um, Center for Healing of Racism, they've been around for 30 years. That's a great uh, resource we have in our area. And they do a plantation tour, which I went on, which is get on a bus together and go for three days, I think, to some plantations in Louisiana. So some highlight the romanticized version of the plantation while mm -hmm. others get real about it. It's super powerful and was life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, host a storytelling event, so put on a Vox Storytellers event in the fall 2020 to amplify the stories of people from different racial backgrounds, which we did some of that with our fall retreat. And cultivate partners, so working locally in our community, because access is always sought not to be an island unto itself, but to be connected to our community. We will nurture relationships with individuals and groups across different races, ethnicities, with whom we can partner on this journey cultivating deeper relationships, mutual learning, and collaboration. And I've done quite a bit of that, and I know Phoebe has, um, and it's super powerful, and it changes you from the inside out. So encourage in cultural, intercultural, interracial friendships within and outside of access. So just take a look around your dinner table. If your dinner table looks all like you, you may want to consider. Explore opportunities to foster the well-being of people across different races, ethnicities, through, you saw today, Houston Welcomes Refugees. We have the orientation training coming up in February, Shield Bearer Ministry and Loving Houston. And three, <coughs> promote involvement and learning from organizations that seek racial wholeness and justice. So Project Curate has been um, something we've been connected with for, what, three years now. Uh, Center for Healing of Racism, and Surge, which is showing up for racial uh, justice. So we have lots of opportunities. If you'd like to know more, you can see any one of us, including Phoebe. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Let's give them a hand for reading that. <clears throat> All right, I might be biased, but I want to say those are some good plans, y'all, right? I'm, when I hear that, they're robust, they're thoughtful, uh, but plans without people are just documents. And so it's kind of up to us now to see, hey, what does this look like? How will we get involved? What is God calling me to do? So I wanted to just give us about four to five minutes as a community just to have some conversation around what we've heard today. Because you've heard a lot. Ephesians 2 is dense. Uh, these plans are dense. Um, so begin to just get in the mindset of what is the Lord saying to you? What is stirring within you? What resonates? Where do you have resistance? Because it's okay to have resistance. That's part of the process, all right? So um, here are some questions. What from the message or these plans resonates with you? What are some of the costs of belonging for minority groups, and have you ever experienced these? And Ephesians 2 is a powerful declaration that God has formed a new humanity. What does that mean to you? So I wanted to say, you know, uh, this is an exciting time to be a part of this community. I mean, it's always been exciting to be a part of Access, but right now we really believe that God is doing something in our community that we get to be a part of, that we are invited to be a part of. And I was thinking how Proverbs says, uh, you know, a person will make the plans, 
that God directs the steps. God directs the way. And so we need to throw ourselves upon God, God's grace, God's wisdom, God's mercy for any of this to happen. So let's pray together that God would help us to be people who move towards peace, to move towards his love and his kingdom. Loving God through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.